The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. And, and my, my hope today uh, is that this will be very, very, very practical and pragmatic. Some weeks you come here and it's very like, let's get all fired up for God and you're inspired and just, yeah. This today is be way more practical than it will be super inspirational. Uh, and it will also be not just for you, but will help you, help equip you when you know someone who's in a situation and they're wondering, this person I'm dating, this business I'm involved in, my adult children, the challenges of trying to make a difference in somebody's life and it gets difficult, sometimes it gets impossible, should I stay or should I go, to help give you some very, very practical perspective that comes right out of these stories here, uh, here in the book of, of Acts 13, when they're in the city of uh, Antioch. It tells us there what, what uh, Victor just read for us, that, uh, that the people got jealous because they saw the crowds. This is the jealousy virus. They didn't protest against them just because they disagreed with it. There's lots of things they disagreed with. They, just, they protested and got all up in arms because their crowd's bigger than ours now. That's the jealousy virus. Here's the question. What happens when you see somebody else succeed? In fact, write this question down here for you today on, your, on the note sheet. There's a note sheet there somewhere in your program. On the back of it there is on one of the tabs. What's my response to someone else's success or someone else's failure? When somebody else succeeds, when somebody else has a better marriage than I do, when somebody else has better kids than I do, when somebody else's business is going better than mine is, somebody started a business and theirs is working and mine isn't, and you start to wonder, what, what's my response? Uh, we can, some of the response is, well, I could work harder perhaps, or maybe I could go learn from them and try to figure out, if they figured out the secret sauce on this, do we do some of that? What sometimes happens, the jealousy virus gets in there, we try to write them off. We try to slander them. We try to say they're, we, we'll make fun of them. We'll do all kinds of stuff just, beca- just to, because we're jealous of, of them. And so that's the one thing we'll do when there's, uh, when there's been somebody else's success. We will often try to write it off, discredit, dismiss, slander them. Or when they fail. Like when that person whose social media feed looks awesome and amazing, you know, they have two kids and they're running a business and they go to the gym every day and they just, it's like you look at that and you go, what kind of freaking nature is this over here? And then you find out, oh my gosh, things were crashing and burning all the time at home. What's your response when somebody fails? Because sometimes when the jealousy virus gets in there, it's like, yeah, see, I knew. I knew. It couldn't have been that good. I and mean, there's kind of a bit of kind of looking down our nose at them, kind of writing them off, or, or, or doing the whole deal of, of just dismissing it and gloating over it. Uh, Proverbs 24, 17 and 18 warns us against that. God tells us in the book of Proverbs, don't gloat when somebody else fails, especially if it's like one of your enemies or one of your competitors. Is that when, you, when you gloat over somebody else's uh, failure, God will turn that failure juice on you. So don't do that. Be happy for your success and go, they're failing, but don't get all, oh, that's right, I'm so glad they're failing. He says, don't do that. So uh, 
They're upset. They turn the crowds in the city of Iconium against, excuse me, in the city of Antioch against Paul and Barnabas and their message. And Paul and Barnabas say, look, we tried to give it to you first, you, you Jewish people. That's our culture, our background. But if you don't want it, we're to go to someone who does? And the Gentiles receive this message, and of course, then the, they incite a mob, and it gets all the political leaders and get people involved in trying to run them out of town, and they move on to Iconium. And then chapter 14, verse 1 says, the same thing happened in Iconium. There, there's a, a pattern here that goes on here. I want to put, uh, read the verses for you. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue, this is chapter 14 now, and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas, but the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord, and the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. And just stop there for a second. Don't read ahead in the script. You would think, okay, man, the power message is going out. And now there's miracles and stuff you think everybody's going to believe, right? Not so fast. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Laconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. And there they preached the good news. Here's a map up on the screen just to give you some context over this is this is today over in modern day Turkey. Back in this day, it wasn't Turkey because there was different regions that Rome ruled over. But you'll see it's the whole region of Galatia, is these cities: Iconium, Antioch, uh, Lystra, Derby, all that. That's in the region of of Galatia here. Uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, came from the island of Cyprus, went to Perga, landed there, went up to Antioch. We talked about that last week. Now they're going to find themselves over here in Iconium. After being run off one place, they get run off to another. And the way of Jesus, and you see uh, what, what happens here, from the very beginning, even with dramatic signs and powerful preaching and wonderful people, will create division. It's not always, sometimes this idea, well, shouldn't we all just be united together and just, man, it's just, let's all just love each other. And certainly that would be great. Except Jesus from time to time is going to say some stuff that's going to just frustrate you, make you mad, challenge the culture, challenge your assumptions about how life works, challenge you in how you're being a husband or a wife, and it will be frustrating at times when he does that. And, and so uh, what will happen is opposition will come up. And I want to tell you today right now, we are facing, even here in America, what they faced in the first century, escalating opposition to the way of Christ. Now, some of you that are around my age-ish, We'll remember a time in our lifetime when the way of Jesus, Christianity, what, what they sometimes called uh, people studying anthropology, the, Ju- the Judeo-Christian ethic was a thing. Was people respected that, valued that? It, even if they weren't Christians, they would, they would respect Christianity for what it did in the world and all that. Um, and they say, you're different, but it's okay. We'll, res- we'll respect you and value the contribution you make. That was the day when people talk about the idea of maybe there was like we were a Christian country at some point. I'm not sure that was ever true specifically, but even if it was, can I just tell you today, in the year 2022, right now that's over. America is no longer one nation under God. 
We're no longer a Christianized country. And there's lots of reactions and responses we can have to that. We just need to know, and I need to tell you today here, I'm so glad you came to church this weekend, that it, it's getting bad with that kind of stuff, and it's just going to get worse. There's going to be increasing stuff like that. Like, um, it's moving more to like mockery and slander. I'm telling you right now, I go to parties or go to some place where it's not a church party, and somehow the question comes up, hey, Steve, what do you do? And I know as soon as I say it, I'm just going to shut down the conversation. And people start just moving away. Like it's going to get on them or something. That's really the truth. Unless they go to church and they're followers of Christ, something like that. But it's just, that's just the way it is right now. It escalates uh, to hostility. Christian faith and values right now are not near as respected as they once were. In fact, more and more, just listen to podcasts, listen to people in your workplace, all that kind of stuff. They're viewed more and more as silly and ridiculous and as obstacles to progress. Our stance and our views on particular ways you do forgiveness and relationships and sexuality and money and all that is viewed like, oh, come on, dude. And like, if you believe that, you're an obstacle. You're, you're getting in the way of what should be happening, and you will often be viewed as, here's where it's getting worse and worse, as dangerous. You'll be viewed as, we, we need to legislate against you. Guys, here in the People's Republic of California, <laughs> it's already happening. There's laws and things being written into stuff. Some of you work in situations where, like, I've got to enforce laws that I don't agree with. As a Christian, like, how do you do that? How do you wrestle with all of that? And I'm telling you right now, this is the moment for the church of Christ to shine. Not to raise up and protest and go out there and boycott and all that kind of nonsense that just doesn't work. But when you watch Christians step out there and just simply love people, let the light of Christ shine, even in the midst of being persecution. Jesus said, it's your response to persecution is where your light will shine the brightest because they're not going to get returning good for evil when you just keep being hospitable. Anyway, so there's opposition that's going on there. There's also good things going on. Lots of people becoming Christians, lots of lives being transformed. But here's the truth about transformation. You can write this one down today. Great results... And great opposition are always part of the deal. Uh, the results are always mixed. 1 Corinthians 16.9. If you have your own Bible or one of ours or your mobile device, flip over there. I want you to actually see this verse. Paul is talking about being in uh, the region of Macedonia. It's where the Philippi, the Philippian church is. We're going to get there in, in a few weeks here in the book of Acts. But Paul is now writing uh, from Philippi, from the Macedonia area, back to the, to the cities, to Corinth. And he says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. So I'm just telling you guys, with the work of God in your life, with, with your small group, there is... It's it got great results and great difficulty. How many of you guys here have a good, basic good marriage? I'm not going to say great because we want to brag. You have basically good marriage. Some of your hands aren't down right now. Hey, I'll talk about that later. Um, you know, this is true, right? There are, it's great, awesome, amazing results. And at times, like, I need to pour hot boiling liquid on him right now. 
something like that. Somebody's, yeah, yeah, that was the, the, the conversation last night. Yeah, there's times where it's just, there's mixed results. Even anything good with your kids, with your children. Awesome, amazing, beautiful. And at times you're just going, ah. Oh. And so there will be a bit of that when it comes to your, your, your business that you're going to start, a church you're going to be involved in. When it comes to people who you're going to invest your life in them and help make a difference, it will be challenging at times. It'll be difficult at times, even when there's great results going on. This is the case when you go to marriage counseling. Great results and great difficulty, sometimes in the same 10 minutes. There's progress, there's great progress, great difficulty, but you see what happens here? In the midst of all this craziness going on, at the end of chapter 13 in the book of Acts, it says they run them off, they shake the dust off their feet, run them out of town, and it says, and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's crazy talk. These Christians are 10 minutes old here in the faith. They're just getting started. And the people who are leaders of this whole thing have now been run out of town. And the believers are filled with joy. Here's what I want to tell you guys. Difficulty, difficult stuff is going to be there in your life. Choose joy. Look at me for a second. Joy is not an emotion. It's absolutely not an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is something you can choose. I saw this. Let's be great at having joy, even in challenging circumstances. Uh, a few people posted this this week. Some of you guys have probably seen it. Misery might love company, but so does joy, and joy throws much better parties. It's just you can choose joy, or you're going to be miserable. Like, who wants to be around that and around you? So let's, let's do that. Now, the big question today from the clash the, the theologians, I think Joe Strummer, somebody, I forgot, I didn't know the guy's names in the band. Um, you look at what they do here, both in Antioch and in Iconium, and great results, and they, it says they stayed there for a while, for a long while, and great things were happening. But then it comes to the point of, should I stay or should I go? And sometimes it's very obvious to see when you should stay or when you should go. But how many of you have ever been in situations where you look back on it later and go, I should have seen that way, way, way earlier, and I just didn't? Because you're involved in it and there's relationships and it's difficulty. How do you know when it's time to tell an adult child, hey, I'm cutting off some things. We're going to put some boundaries and I'm going to leave the way where we've been doing things and move to something different. How do you know... Because uh, it's not always easy because, like, like the lyrics say, should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble, and if I stay, there will be double. Some of you are thinking about, that explains my first marriage. Sorry, a little too personal there, huh? So how do you know? I'm going to give you a couple things that come right out of these verses here. They're not stated as propositions and principles in the text, they emerge out of the narrative. They emerge as the underlying principles out of this narrative here. And you'll see that they both, in both situations, they decide when a mob comes after them, when they're threatening to kill them and stone them, they leave. And the first reason to, when it comes to, should I stay or go, is when there's no results and no fruit. When there's no good results, no fruit that's coming there, 
It's like, why do you keep pouring time, energy, and resources into that relationship? Some of you, well, let's get to that. Let me clap back to principles before I yell at you about a couple of things here. Um, sometimes you're called to gut it out and just stay there and fight, certainly. But sometimes like, hey, we've reached a point here where it's time to just move on. Jesus himself, when he sends the first disciples out, he says, go out to all the cities of Israel. Go out two by two. He says, give them the welcome here. Tell them the good news. The kingdom of God's here. Tell them about me and the way of Jesus. If they welcome you, it's great. If they don't want you there, just don't stand and fight. He says, shake the dust off your feet and move on to something else. What they do here is there's times where you just, you move on from some things. Now, this idea of what's shake the dust off your feet? Well, back then, they would take the dust, and I, I think they actually did it. I'm not sure it's a colloquial phrase where they literally did it, or they actually went out and took their shoes off or just went and said, we're rejecting everything about this city. Our modern-day equivalent of this when it comes to things like this would be, you've heard this phrase, I just got to wash my hands of this situation. It's a little bit like sending them out. That's what they're doing here. We're out. We're done. Um, Jesus himself in the book of John, you're here in the book of Acts, go to the book of John, it's one book back to the left in your Bibles, I want you to really see this, actually not to the book of John, go to the book of Luke first, Luke chapter uh, 13, Jesus tells a story about this, and I understand when Jesus tells a story here about a fig tree that's not growing, he's not giving farming advice, he's saying I want you to see the application, I want you to see the underlying principle here. Told him this story, a man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. In John 15, verse 2, uh, Jesus talks about the idea that we're the, uh, Jesus is the vine and we're the branch. He says he cuts off every branch of mine that does not bear fruit. Look at me for a second. You can get to a point with Jesus where Jesus goes, I'm out. I'm done right now with you. And some of you go, well, doesn't Jesus always love it? Absolutely does. But he says, if you're not going to respond to this, I'm not going to keep coming for you when you have rejected and rejected and rejected over and over again. So there's times when it's just time to go. And Paul tells them in chapter 13, verse 46, in the city of Antioch, he says, if you don't want this, we're going to go give our time and our energy and resources where it's going to be productive and fruitful. We're going to go to people who want to hear this message. Some of you, this could be good, good advice. You can think about this, the, the application of this principle is it at times, there's times uh, in dating relationships, men and women, some of you are my single friends here, you're dating somebody because you're afraid you don't want to be alone, and it's like it's time to move on from that. For some of you, not all of you, but like he's not making any progress, she, she's not growing, they're stringing this thing along and along, and it's difficult and dysfunctional and crazy and weird. At some point, you've got to move beyond that and go, it's time to move on. There's nothing productive growing here. Um, you can think about this uh, in, in relationships where like, sometimes it's time to say it's time to move on from certain relationships because it's just 
It's just not working. It's not producing anything good. Uh, this will happen sometimes. Even here at Crosspoint, we've had people say, look, for whatever's going on here, it just doesn't work. Um, kids, sometimes with our kids. I'm not saying your 13-year-olds can come out of the house, although some of you go, I wish we could pass that law. I'm sorry, that's a different thing. This is largely like adult children, but I worked with kids for a lot of years before we moved up here to Temecula to plant this church, and parents would come in from time to time with kids are in crisis, with really difficult things going on, and, and we would simply just talk about the idea, hey, mom and dad, you have to make sure that that child, the problem child, isn't getting 100% of your time, attention, energy, and resources. Because what that's going to do is it's going to create problems between you and your spouse. And you'll start blaming the other person for the foolish, your child over here that made this mess here. And then your other kids are just looking and going, hmm, here's how you get mom and dad's attention. And so at times you have to do planned neglect of the problem child for a while where they don't get all of your time, energy, dollars, resources, and then pour some of that into your good kids. You have to do that. Uh, that's my, like an application here of this principle of if when it's not productive, you sometimes have to reallocate resources, sometimes cut things off all the way. Um, there, there's all kinds of ways we could talk about this. In the business world, it's, it's a big application. In the, in the education world with kids in the classroom and the, pouring your attention, energy, just anyway. Uh, in the business world, sometimes it's like trying to move on from certain products that just aren't working. Like, hello, who's making VHS, VHS tapes anymore? But people kept doing that, like, hey, it's time to get off. It's time to be done. It's not productive for you anymore. There's a guy that said it years ago. I'm not sure who said it. I can't find the originator. But he said, if the horse is dead, dismount. Like, get off the horse, dude. If the horse is dead, you don't keep trying to feed it, thinking, if I just feed it some more stuff. If I bring a vet over here and some specialized treatment over here, that, that, that'll help the horse. Like, no, the horse is dead. Get off and get on their horse. There's times that you're called to just to, to move on. Another situation, though, is not just when there's no results or fruit, but when it gets toxic or dangerous. When those relationships around you are toxic or dangerous. Now, look for me for a second. This is not, because there's a few of you here that are in difficult marriages right now going, it's time to go. I'm just going to get out right now. No. There can be difficult times and difficult seasons. But when it starts to get toxic and it escalates into being dangerous, it might be time to go. Some toxic people to, to be aware of. These aren't the only ones. This is just a quick boom, boom, boom. Um, be really careful about hanging around angry people. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 says, if you hang around angry people, you'll become just like them. And some of you know the last two years you had to at some point go, I got I to quit hanging around certain even news channels. I got to quit hanging around certain people it's, it's just not good for me. And sometimes the reason you stop hanging around certain people is not because they're toxic. It's because you guys together are like nitro and glycerin. By yourself, you're probably okay. You put two, you two fools together, you've created a mess. It's awful. So angry people, mockers, people that are cynical and jaded about everything. Uh, Psalm 1 talks about this. Don't hang around people that are just mockers. They always have a negative thing on it, and they're just making fun of values, making fun of you. Be careful about people that are mockers. Uh, gossip and slander. Google Proverbs verses on gossip, and you'll get a bunch of them in there warning us against the dangers of gossip for yourself, because you know what's great about gossip? Gossip tastes so good and feels so good going down. Mm. 
But I said, be careful, because if they gossip to you, they're going to gossip about you. In fact, they probably are already, and you just don't know it yet. Be really careful. Those are some toxic relationships to be super careful to make sure you don't get it, because toxic people are infectious, and that stuff gets not just on you, but it gets in you. You have to watch out for that. Then you have to watch out for, for dangerous stuff, where, where the stuff escalates up to abusive, hurt, and harm. And again, we're called to stay in difficult situations, to stay there and fight. Like that little story Jesus told about the fig tree not bearing fruit. For three years, they did nothing, and I cut it down. Ah, no, let's, do, let's make every effort we can to try to make this work. But he says, if it doesn't work by next year, that tree's going. Uh, so when, when situations escalate from just being a little difficult and they move to dangerous, when it moves to open abuse, it's time to go. It happens here in, in Acts 13 and 14. They, they stay there and fight. They contend for the faith, and they're all doing all that stuff, and then at some point they go, we got to move on. This is dangerous for us. But like I said, sometimes it's hard to see that when you're in the messy middle of it all, right? When you're in a situation going, I'm not sure what I do about this relationship. What do I do about my, my adult children? What do I do about a business? That, what do I do about this? When the relationships are getting very, very difficult and it's, is this abusive and dangerous or is this, it's called the messy middle when you're not quite sure what to do. I, I'm going to give you three tools, three reminders to just let it get into your brain here. When you're in the middle of trying to figure out, should I stay or should I go? And you're in the middle? Let me give you three key keys that'll help you with this. And when you're in the middle of it, don't isolate. When you're in a difficult situation, one of the easiest things to do is to withdraw and isolate because it's just difficult. Sometimes you go, I just don't want to be asked about it again. Sometimes because we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed about the, that we're in a difficult marriage or that we're struggling with some difficult thing that's going on. This is not even just abusive relationships. When I'm in recovery stuff and things are getting difficult, when people are targeting me unfairly and it just feels so wrong and I'm just, oh, it's too much, I just want to isolate and get away from it all. So when you isolate there, you miss the perspective of somebody who can help speak into that and provide, provide some perspective that's not emotionally involved and all wrapped up in the middle of it. They have some objective distance. They can do that. But if you isolate, which is a tendency that we do here in America because we're so image conscious, we're so much into making sure everybody thinks we have our act together. Maybe we should just all turn to each other, turn to the person right and left and say, I don't have my act together. I just don't. And the people that do think they have to act, their act together are just faking it. They're the ones that talk about authentic things on their social media feed and they have 15 photo filters on the picture they posted of themselves. Oops. Number two, in the messy middle, another great key here is establish boundaries. Sometimes when there's difficult things in the relationship, put some boundaries up there that says, hey, I can't keep living with this. When you do this or that, we can't keep doing this. So we got to put some specific boundaries out there but write this down, establish boundaries with consequences. Like if this continues to happen, if I see this happen again, we're going to have to move on and do something different. We're going to have to shift our resources, shift our 
energy. Sometimes with that, when you do that, I, I've seen this happen over and over again, especially doing couples counseling, stuff like that, where the one person had no idea that what they were doing was really harming that person they care about. And all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, now that I know that, and now that you say I can't do that anymore, it, I'm, it's going to be hard because I've got a pattern of when I'm fixing the stupid, ridiculous sprinkler that you broke again, that I cuss and swear and slam things down. I go, that doesn't help things here, does it? I wasn't aware that really triggered you that badly. Or things like that. So you put some boundaries there. We got, I got to see some change. I want to shift some things there. Um, it also gives you clear markers that maybe it's time to go. You put boundaries out there with consequences. Then it will give you some, okay, now I'm getting clarity on they keep violating my boundaries. Maybe it's just time to go here. Parents, this is for free. This has nothing to do with the message today. But um, stop yelling and just start enforcing. When your kids freak you out and make you mad and trigger you, the thing we love to do is, Wah! and we overreact usually, and then we'll do the whole crazy thing. That's it. You're grounded from your phone for a month. And we overreact, and the child just knows that about a day and a half later, I'll have my phone back. Just let dad or mom yell and freak out on me, and it's, I get it back. The best thing you can do is just, here's what you do. The next time you're angry with your child, walk in their room, and instead of, ah, whether they blew the curfew or whatever they did, just walk in there and say, I need to yell at you right now. I'm so angry with you right now. I need to yell at you right now. And say it in a voice just like this. They're going to go, And just, okay, this weekend, you're not going out with your friends. You're going to be here at home for the next three days. And just do the crazy thing. Don't yell about it. Don't freak out on them. Just enforce the consequence. But it's so much easier to yell and freak out. Just, just follow through with the consequences. Number three, reject religious guilt and shame. Religious guilt and shame sometimes gets piled on by religious institutions, churches, pastors, and leaders, and it gets piled on to the one being abused and hurt. This, sadly, doesn't just happen with women, but it tends to happen more with women who are in difficult situations and relationships, and it's all about, well, you should just forgive them, and you should just keep putting up with it, and just tolerate to return good for evil, and turn the other cheek, and all this kind of stuff, and because that person won't do that, they'll put boundaries out there, then all this religious guilt and shame just gets dump-trucked onto that person. Reject that. That's nonsense. There's times when it's time to move on. Now, we're called to stand and fight as long as we can. So it's not, it's not just an easy exit out of a difficult situation, but reject religious guilt and shame that tries to pile stuff on you by well-meaning religious spiritual people. Jesus himself, in John chapter 7, verse 1, it says that he did not go down to Judah. He stayed away from harm because they were trying to kill him down there. Jesus didn't go to there and fight with them. He said, I'm going I'm to stay away from that. Uh, David and Saul in the, book of, uh, the books of Samuel David's on the run from the king, and for a while he stands there and he keeps taking the abuse, and Saul keeps trying, like twice, tries to pin him to the wall with a spear, and at some point David just goes, that's it, I'm out of here. Uh, here in Acts, we see them do this. Paul, when he first becomes a Christian, he's in the city of Tarsus, and they let him down through a hole in the wall because they wanted to kill him. I'm telling you all this because sometimes we've been told Real Christians don't run from a fight. We stand there and fight till the death. And it all sounds good in a culture that's all uprising and all about stick a stand and fight and just be frustrated, angry, ticked off all the time about everything. Just fight about everything. Sometimes you just move on. 
Sometimes it's time just to call it and go, we're just done here. So when it's time to go, when it's time to wash my hands, shake the dust on my feet, let me give you these first two things that you need to do, and then we'll unpack them for a bit before the band comes back up. What you want to do here is justice and protection. Yes, justice needs to happen when there's been difficult things or just protection for yourself, for your, you, your kids, your emotions, your heart, your soul. Justice and protection, yes. Revenge, uh, excuse me, retaliation and revenge, never. The desire for retaliation and revenge is not the problem. It's the actions of retaliation and revenge. Scripture is going to warn us against, and I've got some great stuff. This is my go-to. Some of you should memorize this. This would solve 80% of the problems going on in your difficult relationships if you just, we just applied this. Romans 12, verse 17 says this. What's that first word there? Not sometimes. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with people. Like, work hard at relationships. Don't return evil for you. It's going to make things worse. Uh, and then, just in case we didn't get it, <laughs> Paul goes, Look, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I'll take revenge, I'll pay him back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. Thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Up in verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. What you do when you have to wash your hands situation, when it's time to go, you leave the retaliation and revenge and the results in God's hands. Uh, some because scriptures command it, but I can just tell you right now, you know why you leave it in God ha God's hands? He's better at it than you are. We all the time, I think God goes, I would go, God step in that situation and go get some people. But you're taking it out of my hand, so knock yourself out, pal. He just looked, taps his hand and goes, you're so cute. If you just leave this to me, I, I could get him for you. And then sometimes what God wants to do, this is what grace and the gospel is so fantastic about, is not just retaliation and revenge, but perhaps restoration. This is why he says, pray for them, return good for evil, because maybe, maybe that person who's done great hurt and harm to you, that it's no for me right now, but no, not no for God, from God for them. And that if, it's, if it is to be, it's not up to me anymore. That means, it means why I leave it in God's hands. If God's going to restore them back, I'm going to pray for them. I pray that God will bless them. Now, when you pray that God will bless them, it says if your enemy is hungry, he's not saying here if someone's tried to cut you with a knife, don't get another knife and give it to them. You can put boundaries and restrictions and protection, all that in your way. What you simply do is say, God, I am washing my hands of this situation right now, whatever it might be. And if you can get them, that would be great. I want you to save them, restore them. This is how the way of Jesus is different than what everything in the culture says to do. Because everything in the culture says, what you, tell, what you pray for is that person to go to hell. Pray God just gets them and just obliterates them. And the gospel says, oh, no, no, even people that have done hellacious stuff, how amazing would it be not through you, but what if the grace of God could save that person? Your ridiculous parents, your kids that are breaking your hearts right now, your in-laws, your business partner that screwed you over, whatever it might be, 
What if God could go save them? Now you go, I got to put boundaries there, and that's perfectly appropriate. You keep yourself out of harm's way, but you pray that God will bless them. The band's going to come up right now. Going to give you a chance to respond to some of this. Let this sink into your heart. Like I said, the message today is, is more practical to help you with situations. Should I stay or should I go? And then to help you help other people from time to time. You might be in a situation today where you're in a, oh, what do I do here in this difficult relationship? Our prayer team is at the back of the house. The band's going to do a couple songs here with us. We're going to sing some of those songs. People will be getting up, moving around. Just make your way back there. Let them pray for you about that. Uh, we're also going to give you a chance to come and receive communion today. Communion is a piece of bread and some juice that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. Jesus, on the two nights before he was crucified, said, hey, my followers, on a regular basis, eat some bread, drink some juice to remember me. Remember my body and my blood that was given for rebel sinners who didn't deserve it. it extends grace to us. And so, whatever God's going to do in your heart and soul right now, just say yes. Whether it's I've got to extend some more grace to some people or it's time to have some tough conversations with some boundaries. Just say yes and trust that God will give you whatever you need for that. Jesus, today, do whatever it is right now in our each individual's heart and soul that is here today. God, we so much just want to be your people that just follow through on what you tell us to do. And where you've called us to stand and fight and just contend and stay there, we're going to do that. And where it's time to do some difficult clarifying conversations. Help us with that as well. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.